This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. This week we're joined by former Home Office advisor Fiona Hill, who says Hillary Clinton is following where her old boss Theresa May leads. Matt Smith explains why the history of Prime Ministers could be on George Osborne's side. But first, ex-Blair spin doctor and strident Remainer John McTurnan tells the Brexiteers how they could win the referendum. There are three things that Leave must do to win the referendum. First, inspire pride by making it clear that Britain doesn't need Europe. Second, undermine trust by convincing voters they can't believe a word the Remainers say. And finally, disaggregate grievances. What do you hate? Whatever it is, it will be solved after independence. So, John, this this just goes to show that a spin doctor can advise anyone to do anything. Your 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 advice on how the Leave campaign could win. How do you think the Leave campaign is doing at the moment? Uh, I think they're doing uh, remarkably well, given the chaotic organisation. Uh, I think that given the unity of the Remain campaign, the support of the main political parties, the one campaign, the money they had, the leadership and the face of it sorted before Christmas, they should have come out of the traps in the new year and they should have won the argument by now. The fact that uh, we're still wondering whether or not we'll leave uh, or remain uh, is a tribute to the ability of the Leave people to kind of sow a bit of doubt in people's minds and the incapacity of remain to seal the deal. And your, the, the thing about undermining trust, this is, this is basically what both sides got to do. I mean, we've, we've seen it with George Osborne launching yeah. his big analysis into what happens with Brexit. It doesn't matter whether or not you're £4,000 worth off or mm. £2,000 worth off. It's creating doubt and it's so... It, but you think both sides can, do, can play that game? Well, you see, the thing is, um, George Osborne should have the authority of Treasury, the authority of being the Chancellor behind him when he makes this claim. And he did have, during the uh, referendum in Scotland, but this comes on the back of four budgets in a year budget which in which forecasts were so bad he had to cut benefits, cut tax credits, in which then the next one he found some money, £27 <laughs> billion, pounds, didn't need to cut them. Then, oh my God, look what's happening in China. The forecasts are bad again. We've got to cut some more. In that context, it's really, you know, if, he's, if in, four, in four years he makes three forecasts that are all different, in four, four budgets in one year he makes three different forecasts, why should we believe him for in, in a decade and a half? He's got to figure on what growth or not growth will do to us. That's his problem. He's undermined his own credibility. 
Now, Fiona, we read that your old boss, Theresa May, apparently is going to ride to the rescue. She's about to be deployed, I think was the um, the phrase that I saw. Do, do you think, what role do you think she should be playing in the campaign? Well, the first thing to say is that Theresa's not the kind of politician to be deployed. <laughs> um, she'll do... That's a voice of experience. ...precisely what she wants to do. I'm sure that that's a nice briefing from someone I've worked with in the past. I think for me the referendum um, is losing one thing at the moment and actually it's the voice of uh, the general public. It is a Westminster spat that's being played out in Westminster. I'm bored of it. I'm sure most of the rest of the public are pretty bored of it. What they really want to know now is how it will affect their life. Um, and until the campaigns really get that message across and actually start listening, because at the moment it's project fear on one hand, and then on the other hand it's almost a project fear about what what will happen if if we don't leave. I think every project day... Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, project something. Um, I really think it's time, given the enormity of a referendum like this, to really get a sense of how people feel about it, not just as a collective across the nation, but also geographically speaking as well. Because the one worry I have in my head, and, and John touched upon the, the, the Scottish referendum, is well, what, what does this mean for the union, Yeah. for the UK union? And that really, really terrifies me as someone who really truly believes in being a, a member of the United Kingdom. Too much splitting off, going off in different directions, it makes me feel discombobulated. With your with your former spinning, only you're still you're still in the world you're still in the world of spinning. What would you be saying to your if you were advising the Leave campaign? What could, what could the Leave campaign be doing? Well, I'd advise both campaigns because I don't think it's right to see one yeah. um, without seeing the other. I, I read in the the press the weekend that Boris is apparently going around on a bus. Well, I'm not sure that's going to solve very much um, <laughs> unless he's driving it into a wall. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's time to really get out um, and speak to people like local authorities, people who are running uh, refugees for for victims of domestic violence. You know, people actually on the ground who are struggling to meet uh, their own fiscal budgets to deliver really serious uh, and seriously important services locally for every woman, man and child in this country. Um, Matt, what do you make of this? Where do you see the... the who, how do you think the Leave campaign is doing at the moment? I think the Leave campaign is actually doing quite poorly. It strikes me that Re- Remain has the absolute advantage in this insofar as the general consensus is by the end of the campaign, the vast majority of undecided voters will switch to the status quo. So therefore, the only thing that Remain really has to do to limp over the finish line is to sow doubt on every single thing that Leave says. And, you know, it will it, be it will be a bare minimum victory, but it will be a victory nonetheless. Uh, the, one of the problems that Leave has is that they, they have two big camps rather than the United Remain camp. So Remain can just use that against them at every single turn. As soon as one Leave camp says something, they can just turn around and say that this has been contradicted by one of the other camps. What's really struck me is the, the extent to which Number 10 is totally taking control of the Britain Stronger in Europe campaign. Even to the point, actually, where we've seen George Osborne launching his analysis thing with three or four other cabinet ministers stood at lecterns, an exact copy of the Tory uh, election campaign last year. And bluntly, the Tory election campaign last year was incredibly boring. Mm. It was very single message. And it defied what everybody said in one. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I want to see people like Damien Green out there. Um, I want to see our parliamentarians who actually want to remain out there because at the moment it just feels like there's the number 10 uh, machine for remain. And actually, by the way, I think that's what's slightly a turn off for the general Mm. public because it 
to some extent, referendum or referenda, is that correct, mm. <laughs> um, are often uh, a bit of an anti-establishment vote yeah. anyway. And if you look at the trends within politics at the moment, uh, you know, the, the Corbyn vote was an anti-establishment vote. The Sanders in America is an anti-establishment vote. You know, there, there's a general feeling that people are fed up with uh, how things are run or not run, actually, to their benefit. So I think that the whole debate has to be lifted out of everyday politics and everyday political tactics. This really has to be an honest conversation with the general public. And that goes for Leave as well as Remain. People have to be really honest about the facts. It has to be about integrity. And I haven't really heard that so much recently. The problem that Remain have is normally you can win a referendum by saying stay with the status quo. The danger is the EU doesn't look like it's got a status quo. Yeah. The Eurozone is in uh, free fall, there's an economic crisis, and with the refugees, you can actually start to argue it's a choice between Britain standing alone or Britain staying in Europe, but it's Europe plus Turkey uh, and whoever Turkey wants us to have. <laughs> um, so I think in that sense, you, you can destabilise, uh, leave can destabilise the, the, the certainty that people will switch back to the status quo at the end if they make it, there's no status quo. And John, you wrote for uh, Red Box about Jeremy Corbyn's role in this in his his big speech, which actually was I thought was you know it was pretty good. It did what yeah. it had to do, and there's something yep. slightly more persuasive about his reluctance to the cause. You know, he's a reluctant Remainer. He's a switcher, you know. It's not perfect, but on balance, I think we should stay in. And, oh, and you, you, it was it was notable because it was a it was a John McTurnan piece in praise of, jo- of Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, I thought he made a very very British speech, which was a whole list of grumbles about how awful the European Union is and how terrible it could be, and then going. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> better stay with it. Yeah, just better stick with it. Just stick yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, just stick with it. It was like a weather conversation or something. Grumble, 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 grumble. But now not moving. <laughs> now um, we can't discuss the referendum without <laughs> updating the now hugely popular. Red box sweepstake. Uh, each week we've been asking the panel to predict the share of the vote which Remain will get to two decimal places. The current average across everybody is 53.66%. But interestingly, panellists on the podcast are much more confident at 56%, uh, whereas people who've emailed us um, are only predicting 51%. So uh, who wants to start? Definitely not me. Right. So 58%. 58% for John. Do you want to use any of your decimal places? I don't. 50, right, 58.00. Right. So I'll use them both. <laughs> uh, Matt? I'm going to go 57%. 57%. No decimals? No decimals. Very good. Go on. You won't like me. Go on. But I, I just don't want to put a <gasps> figure on it. Go on. Until it's I, just a I bit until of fun. I, until I see quite intricate geographically broken down polling, I, I really don't feel comfortable putting. Do you think that remain wrong with but six at the front? Would it change your <laughs> mind seen the if I told you the only other person who's refused to play so far has been Sam Coates? I love Sam Coates. Oh, I aspire to be He's tried to bring <laughs> down changed, the podcast on the inside. I should have really have changed it to Sam Coates. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, well, if, if unlike Fiona and Sam, you want to uh, mm. send us your predictions, you can email us redbox <laughs> at thetimes.co.uk or you can tweet us using the hashtag redboxsweepstake and we'll keep updating it and the closer we'll get, we'll decide who was a massive clever clogs and uh, who wasn't. I think the highest... Uh, we've got, I think it's pushing close to seven, 70%. I mean, one person has suggested that Remain would get 1%, which, you know, we time will tell. We will with no doubt return to the EU referendum in the coming weeks. But now, um, Fiona, let's move on to a different topic. OK, so I'm talking about modern slavery, something which I've worked on now for a number of years. 
And the UK has often looked across the pond for policy inspiration. Police and crime commissioners, crime maps, city mayors, free schools, all American imports. So when Hillary Clinton announced last week, or was it the week before, um, that she would vow to end modern slavery, it was a unique moment in my mind in the exchange of policy ideas. The Home Secretary has already passed the Modern Slavery Act and she did so at the end of last Parliament and now America seeks to follow. So Fiona, just talk us through the scale and I know this is something you worked a lot on when you were at the Home Office and it's probably not the thing that makes the most headlines but it's probably the thing that could have a bigger impact than sort of the headline crime stuff. So just, just explain to us the scale of the problem of modern slavery in the UK. Well, as far as we know, because of course it's it's one of those things that's difficult. It's very to measure. very hard to measure. Um, but we're you know we really are talking hundreds and thousands of people. But it's often wrong just to talk about it in the context of the UK because it's a crime that crosses borders more often than not. There is uh, obviously internal uh, slavery, internal trafficking, but more more often than not, it does have an international dynamic to it. And that's what makes it complex and it's what makes it challenging for law enforcement and, of course, for governments to legislate, because we can only legislate for our own, uh, our own parliament. And law enforcement have to go you know, to great lengths to get into joint investigations with uh, foreign uh, law enforcement. And that's before you even get into the complexity of actually... Pro- prosecuting the perpetrators. There are means um, of doing so, which is uh, quite a long long explanation. Um, But but nevertheless, it it, it is possible to have a prosecution somewhere else in the country with a UK victim uh, in in that investigation. And it is one of the things that the UK has taken a lead on, and it's something that I know Theresa's really focused on. And so presumably now for you to see that Hillary Clinton's picking this up and doing it in an election campaign rather than in office is a sort of it sometimes it could fall under an issue of being an yeah. important thing to do when in office, but it's not a vote winner. Well, the the, the problem with issues like modern slavery is often uh, not enough people know about it. Mm. But in any foreign or domestic policy environment, there are always competing priorities, and there is just so much happening at the moment <laughs> that that you have to continually fight to have these things on on the map. Um, and the fact that she has made it a campaign issue, mm. I mean, I I just think it's amazing because that in itself will just keep the the story bubbling along um, and it needs to do that because actually if you think about uh, the internet and what it does for, for as a driver of criminality there is no victim that hasn't at some point been trafficked or exploited without the internet playing some kind of part mm. at some kind of stage it crosses borders the internet has no borders and so therefore the style of policing and the policy response for the future and, and actually as of now has to change so if you have Hillary Clinton in America and you have Theresa May in the UK talking as they do um, on other subjects um, like counter-terrorism for example that is a good thing because those tools that are used to investigate terrorists Mm. are the same tools which are needed if you want to track down organised crime groups who by the way are also smuggling around the Mediterranean often I think that they are the same people they are well connected they are very well connected and our law enforcement therefore has to get better connected John what do you make of this is a, is an issue, in, and, and particularly seeing somebody like Hillary Clinton putting it in a campaign. Well, I think uh, it's one of the great moral issues of our time, isn't yeah. it? And the, it's something that clearly has a quite a cross-party appeal. Um, it's something which, as Fiona said, it, it takes painstaking effort, not just in the pursuing of the crime, because the victims of the crime don't always know that they have recourse to justice or feel they they mm-hmm. fear. The, the, the enforcement of the justice on them as well as the 
uh, the people who, who traffic them. And the international dimension, not just the uh, getting international agreement between willing countries, a lot of the places from which this originates are ungoverned territory like Libya. And a lot of the people that we need to tra- track down are hiding in dark places, the dark places and dark spaces on the internet. So I think it's an incredibly welcome initiative. And I think I've always been of the opinion that a woman president may well be even more game-changing than a than a black president because Barack Obama is a man and a woman may well bring a different agenda. And this concern about trafficking, human trafficking, because you know the largest proportion of people who are trafficked are women, that starts to give you a sense of what the dimensions might look like in foreign policy and diplomacy and treaties and international organisations. I mean, Hillary Clinton has spoken about trafficking for many years, but through the prism mm. of human rights and, mm. and women's rights. Yeah. What we see now is human trafficking, modern slavery. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. It's a massive profit generator yeah, for criminals. True. Huge. Organised crime groups. Do you, you know, the, I, I can't put a figure on it, but we're talking millions and millions of pounds. And the reason they're able to make so much money is that they are evading prosecution. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not being tracked down. And the reason they're not being tracked down is because police are policing it like other victim-led crimes. It's an organised crime and therefore we need to use the tools like communications data, the IP bill is going through Parliament at the moment. That bill could change the way policing happens to uh, respond to this type of criminality. It's an interesting issue because it it requires, it could be quite nuanced in terms of a political issue and it Whereas a sort of straightforward politician might promise to crack down on prostitution or begging or gangs, actually the criminals who would be targeted by a straightforward politician are actually the victims. And so it becomes quite a, it could be quite a difficult sell to the electorate. Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things, um, when, I, when I heard that Fiona was going to be talking about um, modern slavery today, I, um, I uh, googled Hillary Clinton's speech on this, and I must confess I found it incredibly hard to find much about it. And I think that's going to be the key factor in this, is that it's simply there's not an, enough political capital in this to make a huge impact. So the, one the, I think one, one of the main problems is, as, as Fiona has mentioned, that um, it, it is the same tools that you use to tackle uh, terrorism that you use to tackle organised crime such as this. And I think governments are so neurotic about t- 
terrorism these days that given the opportunity cost involved in, in switching to something like modern slavery, this is just going to be lost by the wayside. The fact of the matter is, if government screws up on a counter-terrorism issue, there are huge repercussions. But if they don't tackle uh, uh, an issue of such a small amount of public salience anyway, there's no there's nothing to be lost. And yet, but in terms of the numbers of victims, you could have a terror attack which kills... 10, 15 people, and that would lead the news for weeks and weeks and weeks. And yet there were, you said, thousands yeah. and thousands of people caught up in this. Yeah, I mean, I will never forget the day when I was sitting in the Home Office and we were working on bringing forward the Modern Slavery Act, the first Modern Slavery Act in the world. And, and a fairly senior official came in to me and said, Fee, why do you care about this so much? And I said, because about a mile away from here, a person's not been raped once. They're probably been raped systematically 10, 15 times a day and no one is being their voice. And I'm not willing to live in a world like that. What was the, what was the driving force behind it for Teresa? Why is she taken it up? It was twofold. Um, the Centre for Social Justice, um, as you know, went there after government and, mm. and looked at the issue um, across Europe, had done a report where they said, we need to call this what is slavery, and they were absolutely right. And it coincided, actually, with uh, Theresa um, spending a lot more time looking at organised criminality in this country and, and beyond. And we started to see trends that were, frankly, quite worrying. And it was at that point mm. she said, no, we, we really need to do something about this. And uh, she was absolutely right. And I think that just in this discussion here just between Matt uh, and you, the passion with which you just described what you said to the official, Matt, you were looking at it in terms of the metrics of politics mm. and salience and things like that. What happens with the public is they don't, they don't think that crime is a la carte, that we can focus on one and not the other. They want to be protected from terrorism uh, and they want this kind of thing to be dealt with. It may not be front of mind, but we are one instant away from um, a scandal coming to light of trafficked women, trafficked young women, for people demanding action. Mm. And politicians are always in the wrong when they are behind the public and trying to catch up with them. Here you've got a, a rare example of leading. And when the public start to think this is a problem, which they will, because they're as compassionate as Fiona is in, her heart, in their hearts, they'll, be, they'll look up and they'll go, oh... It's being acted on. Mm. And they'll be proud that we're taking a lead and that, that America's copying us. Yeah. And that sense of Britain leading yeah. in a moral dimension as well as yeah. in a crime dimension is quite an important yeah. one of, of, of why this is the right thing for a politician to do, even if it's not mm. at the moment front of mind yeah. for a voter. And, and it was Britain because, you know, we worked very closely with Frank Field, for example. It was a cross-party yeah. yeah. thing. Oddly enough, the Liberal Democrats never really focused on it too well, much, I which I could never what, really work, what your, work out. What your experience, what you explained from the sort of official side in the Home yeah. Office, but what about other politicians in other parts of government, or no, what was sort of Number 10's interest or, or reaction to it? I didn't really work with Number 10 on it. Um, I worked um, a lot with Parliament, and that's what I really enjoyed, and a lot with charities. Yeah. Um, and working with Frank, mm. I really, really enjoyed, and Fiona McTaggart um, yeah. and Elizabeth Butler Sloss. And actually, it was a lesson to me in politics that if you actually can work across the House on issues that, frankly, shouldn't be political, mm. they should be about doing the right thing, you can achieve so much in a short space of time. We started writing the clauses for that Act one year, and it was on statute the next. Wow. You know, and, and and I've never seen a bill yeah. put together that quickly, and that was just through sheer will of people wanting something to happen. 
Well, it's a really interesting issue, yeah. and, I'd, and you've written for us for Red Box as well. So if you if you want to uh, read more about it, both the work that was done in this country, but also that Hillary Clinton's doing, um, then go onto the Red Box website and take a look uh, at that. Now, before we move on to the last topic, let me just tell you about a podcast special which we've got planned in the next couple of weeks. Ask the experts. We'll give you the chance to put your questions direct to a panel of, it says here, Westminster's finest. Uh, so do you want to know the secret to win an election or the dark arts of spin doctors killing a story? Or maybe you just want to know what the food is like in Parliament. If you get in touch, uh, we'll answer as many questions as possible in uh, that podcast special in a couple of weeks' time. You can email your questions to redbox at thetimes.co.uk or tweet us at timesredbox with the hashtag redboxexperts. And uh, we'll, yeah, we'll do that in the next couple of weeks. But now on the subject of experts, uh, Redbox regular Matt Smith has been crunching the numbers on George Osborne's hopes of becoming PM. Despite recent setbacks, George Osborne is still David Cameron's heir apparent. He is in good company. Since the beginning of the 20th century, more Prime Ministers have been Chancellors of the Exchequer than have been leaders of the opposition. But he should be warned. Those that seize the keys to number 10 last just three years and 87 days, barely half of the average tenure of leaders who win a general election. Now this piece uh, that you've done for us, packed with uh, infographics as always, Matt, I think is one of the best pieces we've had on red box since uh i (laughs) took charge uh at the beginning of the year just because it it involved an awful amount of pouring over stuff it was was exactly what infographics are for loads of work for you (laughs) and i can work out what it's telling me in about two seconds so this 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 is amazing stat that more people have become prime minister who were chancellor before than were leader of the opposition is it 10 10 people it is 10 chancellors to nine leaders of the opposition and it also shows and this is this is really good and this is definitely a warning to george osborne that people who ascend from elsewhere in the cabinet into number 10 only last three and a bit years and if you win an election, you, you might manage six. Absolutely. And this may well be uh, impacting on George Osborne's thinking. He's been criticised frequently for the, uh, the, the, the speed and the severity of the cuts he's trying to employ. But it's possible that if he is aware of this statistic, that he's simply just trying to get out all of the pain out from under him so that when he becomes prime minister himself, he's got the chance to start splashing the cash again. Now, John, you were obviously involved in the Blair government. Mm. He, he, he won three elections and stayed, stayed in number 10 for more than a decade. To be followed by a chancellor who ascended uh, mm. to number 10, didn't win an election and managed a couple of... How many, I can't remember how many years it was now. Three, it was about three years. About Gord, three years Gordon yeah. is the case study. Gordon's a case study. So what, what do you make of this? What are the chances? Look, I think there's there's... In British politics, a second term is relatively easy to get. Most people, apart from Ted Heath, have got a second election victory uh, since the war. Um, A third term is a big ask. You have to be a big figure like Blair or Thatcher to get that. A fourth term is a really, really big ask, and Gordon was given a fourth term uh, as the ask he had. The difficulty, I think, in a way, is the character of of the type of decisions you have to make as a chancellor. Normally, you make a handful of big decisions once a year. Your budget is the thing. A prime minister's life is making decisions every single day, every single day. And you have, to, you have to do the meetings and make the speeches and make the decisions and look across the horizon about what's going on in every single department. And every Wednesday, you're held to account for all the decisions in, held in every department. And that requires a very different set of political skills. They may be there when you're younger. Gordon Brown had the full set of skills when he was young. Uh, and, a, and a rising politician, but you, the danger is you freeze into the post that you have. And so it may, not, it may not simply be that you get into the job and go out and get elected, it's that your political skills get trammeled by the position you're in, so you become 
even as a chancellor when you're very strong, you're still not first among equals. You're still not looking across the board, even though you're picking and choosing people's budgets. And I think that's one of the dangers for, for Osborne. And I know you can see that the current chancellor is trying to be a, more, a, a bigger political figure, a broader political figure. The danger is sometimes it seems to leave him making poor decisions in his home territory. He's not concentrating on, on the day on, job. On the, he doesn't do yeah. the day job, and so gets the disability benefits cuts wrong or gets the tax credits wrong or, or misjudges how hard the forecast should be, uh, should be you know, in terms of revenue. So I think that's the issue. It's, it's that you're doing a different job while you're aspiring to, a, to, to the top job, and the top job is just so different. Now, Matt, before we come to Fiona, have you got the stats on how many home secretaries have made the move yes. to? It's it's three home secretaries. Three home secretaries. And none of them received a direct promotion. Theresa May will be unhappy to hear. Uh, so, oh. Fiona, yes. is Theresa the one to break the mould and become the next Prime Minister? The thing I would say about jobs and people, and this isn't just politics, I think it's any job, is that you can never predict how good or bad someone will be in a job. Those people said that Theresa wouldn't be a very good Home Secretary. There were lots of scoff and spluttering around teacups, and she has been one of the best, um, in fact, the best Secretary that we've had in, in a generation. One of the longest serving. The longest serving. The longest yeah. serving. But that's not to say that she would be a perfect Prime Minister or a perfect Chancellor. We just don't know. I think George, um, you know, for all you know, bad high headlines here and there, I think he's actually been a pretty good chancellor. He's managed to convince the country that cuts are a good thing, and and that's a difficult thing to do. <laughs> that's a hard sell. Um, yeah, the other thing true. I would say, in a more broad brush uh, political way, is that actually it takes something to be good at dispatch box, and not everyone can do it. And Cameron is very good at dispatch box. Um, when he came back after the the Panama Papers debacle, everyone would have expected him to look a bit peaky faced and he looked far from it. Mm. George at Dispatch Box, can I really see it on every issue? Um, not so sure, um, but that's something I'm sure his team probably will, will help him work on. What about Theresa at Dispatch Box? Because you, awesome. you probably watched her more, you know, sitting in every Home Office question, you probably saw her more than... Theresa has a strong voice and she's got height, um, and that sounds quite that, superficial, no, really but matters. it actually really, really matters. matters. Yes presence, it gives yeah. you presence, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, intellectually, you can see the triumph of the budget was the sugar tax. Look at what's happened with Dolmio. Yeah. Look at the food industry responding to the sugar tax. Um, and yet, because of the, la- the turbulence the last few weeks, that's not come out. But you get that thing through courage, because Gordon Brown had the same proposal, but declined to do it because he was scared of the industry uh, and the backlash from the tabloids. Um, and it takes a kind of vision of how society should be. Although the counter-argument for that is the sugar tax was only in the budget because he needed something to try and cover up a lot of other bad news. But it's changed behaviour already, and so I think... You get I can't the, stand sugar tax. The point, I mean, the, point, the point of the modern slavery bill <laughs> is, is to have a view of the way the world should be. Yeah. The, same, the, the sugar tax is a view of the way the world should be. You may not like it, but Nanny knows best. Mm, nanny never knows best. <laughs> And see that there summed up the difference between yeah. left and right. Yeah. <laughs> In a single exchange. No, Matt, the, um, man one, has never had a nanny. <laughs> one of the things, uh, one of the things that your piece of red box also showed is the way that George's popularity has gone up and down, both yeah. with the public, but also with uh, share prices. Tory members. <laughs> Theresa's actually has grown. I mean, particularly amongst Conservative members, uh, sorry, through Con Home, Theresa's gradually her platform seems to have risen, probably because, it, like you were saying, Fiona starting off probably with criticism at the beginning as to why was she made Home Secretary has actually proved herself on the job. 
Having dug around those numbers so much, what's your prediction, Matt? Is George going to do it? It's such a tricky one. The, the the main factor in whether or not George Osborne will become Prime Minister, I think, is what happens in the European referendum. If if um, the Leave side triumphs, then every single potential Conservative candidate who backed the Remain option is toast. Uh, it, uh, it's going to f- force David Cameron to step down almost immediately. In fact, there's a the really interesting thing about that, perhaps, is Cameron is really um, intent on staying, even if the referendum is lost. Mm-hmm. And it's almost certainly he'll be immediately ousted. And what what happens there is it depends how orderly the transition becomes, because if Cameron feels his position is completely untenable and he leaves even before uh, a leadership contest has come um, full circle, it may actually be George Osborne in his capacity as Secretary of State who has to step in and take the reins of the country as a whole, becoming Prime Minister both on purpose and by accident in one yeah. fell swoop. After that, basically, George Osborne's stock is so low at the moment after this Parliament's omni-shambles budget, essentially. So he needs as much time as possible to recover, which means a uh, as clear a Remain victory as possible, which will allow David Cameron to pave the rest of the Parliament. Cameron needs to hang on to give George time to bounce Absolutely. back. Yeah. But like, as Groucho Marx said, time wounds all heels. I and George will be hoping Boris yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that good for anybody? Would that be good for the economy? Good for putting, yeah, putting Boris into the Treasury. <laughs> it would be good for commentators. <laughs> Yeah. Great for red box. Yes. Whether so or not, whether or not it'd be good for the money in our pockets is another question altogether. Uh, well, let's leave it there. I'm afraid we've uh, we've run out of time for this week. Uh, there's plenty more as ever on the red box website. Uh, you can get in touch as usual, particularly for the RC experts. At, uh, the email address redbox at thetimes.co.uk, or you can tweet us at Times Red Box. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or on your Android device. And as ever, sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox forward slash sign up. But for now, from Fiona, John, Matt and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.